Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me. Darcy, how's it, how's it going over there? And you're neck good. I just got, yeah, just, just got in from a dog walk at night. It was rainy, it was chilly, it was stormy. It was, it not was great, a dark and stormy night. I know. <laughs> That's like the beginning of every weird, like, horror movie. I know. It's like cliche not horror supposed movie. to be tornado season, but we're under a tornado watch because it's kind of just always tornado season in Alabama at this point. So, Yikes. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. Um, yeah, it's kind of sketchy here, too. Like, mm-hmm. we have snow one day. And then we have rain, and then we have mm. brutally cold temperatures, and then it heats up to like 50, and then we're all like, oh, hey, let's get the shorts out, and then it snows. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's definitely some bonkers weather. Um, that time of year, nothing. I am looking forward to a move to Florida. Bye. Yeah. I mean, not permanently, <laughs> but like for the cold months. Be a snowbird? Yes. That is going to be us, and I'm going to be so freaking happy. Nice. Um, let's talk about some crazy stuff in the news. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Okay, so here's this one. I immediately, it's not really crime-related, but this Australian woman woke up from surgery with an Irish accent, and they said she may be stuck with it for life. Okay. Interestingly enough, she's an Asian Australian woman who woke up with an Irish accent after undergoing surgery, and she's been struggling to get her original Australian accent back. Was it brain surgery? Okay, let me, let me. Okay. Like, throw it in here now. It's interesting. It's super interesting. Angie Yen. She's from Brisbane, Queensland. She's Mm -hmm. never been to Ireland. She had her tonsils taken out April 9th. Excuse me, April 19th. Nine days later, she woke up with an Irish-sounding accent that she did not recognize. Was she out between the time of the operation and when she woke up? Was she out for nine days after no. her tonsil? She was okay. out for regular time, but she okay. woke up nine days after her surgery with an accent she didn't recognize. So she was getting ready for a job interview and was singing in the shower, which she normally does, and all these words were coming out and sounds that she'd never heard before. She immediately called a well-traveled friend who confirmed that she sounded Irish. Aside from getting... An Irish accent, the 28-year-old says her singing voice also improved. She can now hit notes she was unable to hit before. She took to TikTok to document her experiences. More recently, she was contacted by researchers at 60 Minutes Australia who reported a similar case. This week, she underwent a brain scan, which confirmed nothing was wrong. But she was diagnosed with there is something called a foreign accent syndrome. What? It is a rare medical condition that may be triggered by neurological or or psychological damage, according to speech pathologists. Foreign accent syndrome is a legitimate disorder. It's described as a person's speech changing so that it sounds as though they're speaking in a different accent to a... (laughs) And it's permanent sometimes, they say. Holy cow. But due to a lack of science behind the condition, it's unclear whether she will be able to get her Australian accent back. Even if the condition ceases, it's possible for it to recur later, the doctors warned. She has been offered speech therapy, but describes it as just trying to fake my Aussie accent. Yeah. She also said her new Irish brogue gets thicker when she's really tired or fatigued or a really bad day. I've had a very, very hard time, but it's like a rubber band. The best I can do is the harder you pull the rubber band away, the harder it will pull back to Irish. She's also tired of social media users who ridicule her and claim she's faking the whole thing. Why would you fake it like that? I'm sick of being taken as a joke. It's a very serious thing, she told 60 Minutes. Um, they also interviewed Kate Baggs, who spoke with an Irish accent while recovering from a hemophilic migraine. Hemiplegic migraine? Yes. Is that what it is? 
It's a rare disorder which affected individuals experience a migraine headache along with weakness on one side of the body. Hemiplegic. Hemiplegic. Okay. I can't read. I'm not smart like you. Well, I just looked it up because I have never. I'm not used to big, complicated medical words. (laughs) Huh. So basically, hemiplegia is when you like get paralyzed on like one side of your body. So like Bell's palsy or a stroke or something like that. But so. This is called basically hemiplegia is caused by a migraine in this situation, but that's interesting Random, that it, right? foreign accent syndrome. I'm gonna look this up. This is crazy. There's not a lot of science behind it because <clears> it's <throat> not like they can pinpoint something in your brain that triggers it. Oh, so here it's it more is. like a psychological type of right. thing in my experience. Of it's most that. common after a head injury, stroke, or other type of damage to the brain. Although it, it, that's interesting that, that sure, it tonsils take yeah. it out. So like. We will keep you posted if she gets her It's Australian hard to do an back. Irish accent. Yeah, this it's hard. It's hard to do an Australian accent. I think it's an Australian accent's accent is easier than to do than like an Irish accent, but maybe yeah. I'm just not good at accents. Um, and then the second article that I want to talk about tonight is student loses Rhodes scholarship over allegations of lying about her foster care upbringing. Did Whoa, you see this one? No. So this university student, she was a University of Pennsylvania. Her name is Mackenzie Fierston. She had her Rhodes Scholarship revoked and her master's degree withheld after allegations <gasps> surfaced she was lying about her first-generation low-income status and life in foster care. Whoa. Upon graduating with a bachelor's degree in political science at the University of Pennsylvania in 2020, didn't you do a thing for University of Was that? No, no I worked for Pitt, school? University of Pittsburgh. Oh, Pitt. Okay. Yeah. Um, Fierston was one of 32 Rhodes Scholars chosen from more than 2,300 students in the U.S., according to a statement from the University of Pennsylvania. She was in the process of completing a clinical master's degree in social work, also at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, the Philadelphia Choir, uh, excuse me, the Philadelphia Inquirer lauded her for her accomplishments, including an interview with her. Statistics show that only 2% of foster youth graduate from four-year institutions, and most do not even graduate from high school, hmm. she told the Inquirer. The overwhelming majority of us do want to graduate high school. It's just because of a million systematic factors and barriers and obstacles and systematic oppression that everyone faces. It's just very challenging. Yeah, I believe that. So after the article was published in November 2020, an anonymous tip got sent to the officials at the University of Pennsylvania saying that she was blatantly dishonest in the representation of her childhood and also included photos of her skydiving, riding a horse, and whitewater rafting. Which doesn't necessarily mean that she wasn't in foster care, I want to add. But um, the University of Rhodes Trust then launched an investigation into her life, trying to understand what parts of her story were true. So Penn and the Rhodes Trust received credible information that called into question statements she made on her application for admission, financial assistance, and scholarships, said this statement from the University of Pennsylvania to USA Today. According to the Chronicle, the investigation revealed she attended Whitfield, a private school in St. Louis with a tuition of nearly $30,000 a year. Her mother was a radiologist with a college degree. Okay. Okay. Keep, <laughs> so keep going. The Chronicle also said there were some records of her facing abuse from her mother resulting in, hospital, in hospitalization, but claims that Fearson made about the extent of the injuries and her mother's involvement were shaky. 
She, she has since filed a lawsuit against the University of Pennsylvania over the investigation. In a statement to USA Today, the university said, we are disappointed that Mackenzie Fierston has chosen to file a lawsuit, especially after she received so many opportunities at Penn. Ordinarily, we do not comment on pending litigation. The matter, however, is far from ordinary. There is no basis for Ms. Fierston's claims. We are confident that Penn and the individuals named as additional defendants will be vindicated in the litigation. The University of Pennsylvania says the Rhodes Trust gave Fierston the Rhodes Trust gave Fierston the opportunity to withdraw her candidacy after a comprehensive report was provided to her and her attorney, which Fierston then decided to withdraw her candidacy after. So they provided her with all this stuff. She withdraws her candidacy. I'm sure that they offered her, either you withdraw it or we're going to yank it from you. And right. she thought it would probably be better to yank it. And now she's suing them. Well, she's alleging suing, discrimination, she's suing alleging the whatever. University of Pennsylvania, but uh -huh. not the Rhodes Trust. Mm -hmm. She is suing the Rhodes Trust? She filed a lawsuit against the University of Pennsylvania over the investigation. Right. So Pennsylvania, the, not the Rhodes Trust. The Rhodes Trust are the one that said, you need to yank your application or we're going to pull it. Probably. And then so she's suing the University of Pennsylvania as a separate entity. So yeah. what is her background? Do we know what her background story supposedly is? Her, she went to a fancy private school. No, no, no. But what did she like on her applications and stuff? Oh, do we she know said what she, she was claimed? in foster care and she was abused and like she came from a very distinct, uh, a very. She said she came from a very. Um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? That she came from a very poor background. She was abused. She had all these issues. She was in foster care. She was abused and neglected. She barely made it out. It's a, it's amazing that she's conquered all these awful, terrible things to get through life and so on and so forth and it didn't is say she adopted? it didn't say specifically i don't know but they're saying now she went to this fancy private school right and her mother was a radiologist that clearly could afford the tuition of a private yes. school and thus probably could have afforded the tuition at university of pennsylvania yes i mean there's some evidence that she you know maybe was abused by her mother because yeah we all know that wealth doesn't necessarily preclude one from being abused but yeah I think the facts on this are, we're not getting everything in this article, but it, it's interesting that someone would lie to, to get a scholarship, although I'm not surprised by it in this day and age. Although her mother probably could have afforded to send her to college, so I'm wondering why she took this opportunity from someone who needed well, it. Well, and her, did her, her mother had to have known, unless, I mean, I, I guess maybe unless she was just like, look, I got an academic scholarship, but she was know. really lying about I mean, the maybe she doesn't have a relationship with her anymore. Maybe that's not a thing. Maybe she was abused. Yeah. And maybe she did really need this. It's just, it's hard to say at this point when we don't have all the facts. But if she did lie about this, then ugh, that's awful that she took that scholarship from someone who really that needed is, it. That is, yeah. But there's pictures of her skydiving wow. and doing all this, like, expensive... Like, skydiving is expensive. Have you ever been skydiving? No. Me neither. I don't want to. Me Why would you neither. jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Same. No. Same. Thank you. No hate mail for that, please. <laughs> it's just I, personal Look, reference. I know a lot of people that have done it, and they say it's exhilarating and amazing and a wonderful experience. They can have it. I'm all set. Yes. Good to go. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, okay. Main case for the day. I'm going to talk about the Hinterkaifeck murders. Ooh. Yeah. This is one I've always been interested in. Because it's one of the un one of the most gruesome unsolved mysteries ever. Yes. So Hinterkaifeck was a small kind of farm in Germany, about 70, kilom about 70 kilometers from Munich. Mm -hmm. It's about an hour and 15 minutes from Munich. 
And every every time you look this up on the map and whatnot, it it's not in miles. It's all in kilometers. Yeah, that's what that's what they. I, use. I was too lazy to translate, so it's <coughs> about an hour and fifteen minutes. Point six miles. Okay, so it's north of Munich, and it's about one and a half hours south of Nuremberg. Okay, the Nuremberg trials were. Yep. Um, the area is mostly flat with farmlands and meadows. It's lush and it's green with little pine forests surrounding it. And it's really kind of like fairy tale-y. Um, and the f- actual the area had gotten its name from a nearby town. Mm-hmm. So this little farm had named itself after a nearby town. The stone farmhouse on this property was built in about 1863. Okay. It was a single-story building made out of stone in an L shape. Okay. With living space at one end and a barn and stables and workrooms at the other end. Oh, I always thought, like, in my head when I imagined this place, like, it always just seemed like a detached barn in my head. But it's all together. I always thought that way as yeah. well. But it, I guess the buildings in that time period for efficiency, for warmth, for, you know, the ability to get to things, especially if it snowed, yeah. was just easier to care for the animals if it's in the same building. Yeah. So it's an L shape. Gotcha. Connected. Okay. The property had a big yard with fields and pastures and a tool shed and a laundry place on the side where they also did baking and preparations for farm food and feeding and all kinds of other stuff in there. Okay. The farm was about a half a kilometer from the neighbors and even farther from town. Okay. Um, So it's kind of isolated. Yeah. If you kind of get that sense. It's like a quarter, a little bit over a quarter mile away from the closest neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. And even farther from town, so right. probably a mile or so from yeah. town. By the early 1920s, the Bavarian farm was owned by the Gruber family. So this is the area the of Gruber. Bavaria, which is a really, really beautiful place. Have you been to Germany? Um, um, no, but my family on one side is German. My, my family's so German, too. I want to I go to Germany. <coughs> I want to go to Germany really bad. But not, I mean, this, my family's been in this country for since the Declaration of Independence, pretty oh, okay. much. Yeah. So like, it's, it's far removed at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> that I don't know, tracing it back is quite challenging mm-hmm. at this point. But the people that were living there as the Gruber family was the father, Andreas. He was 63. Mm-hmm. There was the mother, Cecilia, who was 72. Mm-hmm. The daughter, Victoria, who was 35. And Victoria's children, Victoria, oh, excuse me, her children, Cecilia, named after the grandma, mm-hmm. who they called CZ or Sila, I guess, and, and Yosef, who was two. Okay, and what so year? So she is has this? a two-year-old and a seven-year-old. This is 1920s. Okay, early 1920s. Mm-hmm. Okay, there was also an employee by the name of Maria Baumgarter. She was 44. She was the maid who'd recently been hired. So essentially, there's three generations of Grubers living on this farm. Mm-hmm. Victoria's daughter went to school in a nearby village six days a week and had Sundays off, which is I thought was interesting as well. Like yeah, school is six days a week. And I don't know if that's a, a nationwide thing in Germany or if it was just her little village or if that was the custom. Yeah. I'm trying to it think of what really was going say. on in Germany at the time. So this was after World War One, but before World War Two. So this was like the, the Weimar Republic. I don't really yes. know like too, too much about it other than that's when cabaret Essentially, was Essentially, they're trying to rebuild the country. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. I knew all that. Like they couldn't War have a military I. and all of that stuff. But and so they, they are trying to do things a little different yeah. and create a, a stronger, better country from the faults and things that were happened during World War One. And okay? then what happened? Sorry. Okay. So it's April 1st, 1922. It's a Saturday. And the school notices that Celia, her nickname, mm-hmm. is absent. And the young girl was kind of sickly and mm-hmm. been seen looking kind of t- 
tired and ill the previous day, so they were like, hmm, maybe she's homesick. But mm -hmm. they do notice that she's not there. And later, a coffee delivery man goes to deliver at Hinterkaifeck and sees that no one seems to be around. All the doors are closed and locked, mm -hmm. which is really weird because, number one, they live on a farm. Right. So living on a farm, particularly back then, there's a lot of activity all the time right. going on. Like, people are feeding animals. People are cleaning. People are doing chores. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just a lot of activity on farms like this, typically. But there's no noise and no sign that anyone's there. That, w that must be eerie. Yeah. Super quiet. Yeah. The only thing you can hear is the animals kind of lowing, the cows mm. and, and things like that, and a dog barking in the barn. Hmm. And they go to the next place, and they kind of see, say, hey, the Hinterkaifeck farm is quiet. Mm -hmm. I, something seems strange. Um, the silence and lack of activity was super weird because it was usually busy, especially on that day of the week because it's a working farm. Mm -hmm. But the next day, when Victoria usually goes to Sunday Mass, Back then, everybody went to mm -hmm. church. That's like that wasn't a thing to not go to church, yeah. and she, it was really odd for her not to show up to that either. But they just her. She used to have two people that she would walk to church with, and mm -hmm. they see that she's not at the spot where they would normally meet her to walk to church. Notice she's not there, and then leave because they've got to get to church. Okay. So other people also start noticing the strange silence at Hinterkaifeck. The postman, the delivery people, repairmen, also found the property deserted. Could you imagine, and, like, that wouldn't happen now. Like, my postman would have no idea if I'm, like, in my house, not. out of my house. Like, no. But they also see that there's no activity in the windows either. So, you know, oh. at the very least, maybe somebody's sick yeah. and, like, they have to stay in the house and care for them or whatever. But there's no activity in the windows. There's no noises. There's no activity. There's nothing. Yeah. So a mechanic gets there the Tuesday, the next Tuesday after mm -hmm. April 1st. And notices the silence as well. And he knocks on the door, doesn't get an answer. So he goes around to the engine room to check out what he would be repairing and notices that the lock on the door is broken. Mm -hmm. And even though he doesn't hear anything, he thinks the family is just out for the day. So he goes in and repairs the engine for half the day. Or he pulls it out of the room that it's in, goes, repairs it in a different place, just goes on about his business. Mm -hmm. When he finishes, he comes out of the barn and finds that the dog is there and the door is open. And the dog is now tied to the front of the house. The but the dog wasn't tied to the front of the house before? No. He was inside either the barn or the house or something. He could hear it barking, right. but it was locked away. And now it's outside, tied outside. Oh, creepy. Okay. So he's curious about this. And he's also curious as to why no one spoke to him yeah. at all when he's there. Yeah. Because normally, you know, he'd go do his repairs and somebody would be, hey, how's it going? You know, whatever. Yeah. No one said anything. So he kind of mentioned this to the neighbors on the way out as well. The neighbor then is like, okay, this is the second or third person that's come said something mm -hmm. to me, so I need to go investigate this. So he basically gets his sons to go check out the, what's happening at the Gruber family's home. And they also find locked, dark, silent property. Mm -hmm. The farm had originally been inherited by Cecilia Gruber, the mother, okay. after the death of her first husband in 1885. Okay. They had had two children together, Cecilia and her first husband. And after okay. Sh okay. After yep. a short period, Cecilia was 35 at the time, married Andreas Gruber. Okay. He was quite a bit younger than her. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a farmhand. So, as you can imagine, that might have been somewhat scandalous. Mm -hmm. But in any case, Andreas was helpful at working at the tasks. He was a little bit socially awkward, but he was a good farmhand. And he and his new wife had three daughters, but Victoria was the only one that survived infancy. 
Oh, man. Okay. And I don't think that's uncommon at that time either. The uh, mortality rates for children were very, very Mm -hmm. high back then. The Gruber family didn't really associate it with the neighbors, but people heard that he beat Cecilia and others said that she was... That her two daughters had died after abusive kind of situations with a lack of food and proper oh, care. Oh, wow. So there was kind of rumors that were going right. on about that. Other people claimed that Andreas had an inappropriate relationship with his young daughter, Victoria. Yeah. This was confirmed by 16-year-old Victoria, who confessed the abuse to a neighbor. Okay, so she came forward and said, my, my father is abusing me, sexually yes. abusing me. Okay. Yes. Victoria was the only one left after Cecilia's two kids from her previous marriage moved away, mm-hmm. which they were probably like, we need to get the heck out of mm-hmm. here. This is a terrible situation. Victoria did a lot of work on the farm. She was known to be tall, slender, and attractive. Um, she was active in church and sung in the choir. She was probably the most social out of that group. Okay. She was able to get out a little bit more. At the age of 27, she got engaged and married in 1914. <clears throat> okay. She married a young man named Carl... Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Shortly after the two got married, the deed to the Hinterkaifeck property was signed over to them, presumably as a wedding oh. gift kind of a thing. Okay. Uh-huh. All was not smooth sailing, though, at Hinterkaifeck, and these, uh, there was no real honeymoon, I said. Mm-hmm. Okay. Andreas reportedly bullied and picked on his new son-in-law, prevented him from getting food and other awful things. At one point, he returned home, but his parents sent him back. So he was like, I need to get out of here. He went back to his parents, and they were like, no, you need to go make this relationship work. Wow. He was like, this is terrible. There's some bad stuff going on here. And they were like, we don't care. Make it work. Whoa. Okay. And I'm sure that that the... the Gruber family was considered somewhat well off and they had a, a substantial homestead and a farm mm-hmm. and it was maybe a, they wanted their son to be prosperous perhaps, but sure. they made him go back. After about four months of marriage, Carl goes to fight in World War One mm-hmm. and was reportedly killed in France in December 1914 by a shell attack okay. on the front lines, which seems just very sad. World War One was supposed to be just horrific. Yeah. Uh, I can't even imagine how horrific that must have been. But he was on the front lines, Mm -hmm. and he volunteered. So maybe he was like, I need to get the hell out of here. This is the only way I'm going to get out. Well, I mean, I think there was probably considerable patriotism. Exactly. In any case, Victoria gave birth to a daughter, Celia, Celia, Mm -hmm. shortly after Carl's death. And Victoria became the sole owner of Hinterkaifeck. Okay, but you said she had two kids, right? Um, She does, but she didn't have the the second one yet. This is her first child. Okay. With her, with her husband, presumably, but right. knowing that what we are gonna, what I'm gonna discuss in just a second, it could have been somebody else's child. Okay. But the sad news didn't end there. About six months later, Victoria and her father Andreas were convicted of incest. Huh. The incest allegedly happened between 1907 and 1910. Andreas, in his 50s, and his daughter was in her 20s at the time. She got one month in prison, and he got one year. So when he was released, the two went back to Cold Comfort Farm, kind of a sitch, which I don't know if you know that reference. I don't know that reference. But everyone goes back to being normal on this horrific, scary, terrible farm that they live on, and the abuse continues. It's a book by Stella Gibbon. When a well-educated young socialite in 1930s England is left orphaned and unable to support herself at age 22, she moves in with her eccentric relatives on their farm. 
So it was first published in 1934. It says a resourceful young heroine finds herself in the gloomy, overwrought world of a hardy, sorry, Bronte, of a hardy Bronte novel and proceeds to organize everyone out of their romantic tragedies and the pleasures of normal life. Oh. So basically she goes to live on this farm and they're all just like super crude, but she's like this socialite mm-hmm. and she just wants everything to be nice and beautiful and... I kind of think of the daughter as being like the character from Cold Comfort Farm okay. and her family and her dad being like these like clumsy, uneducated, yeah. awkward social people and she's stuck there. Gotcha. And so she's trying to make the best out of it. Okay. But anyway, um, they come back to this, she, both of them come back to the farm after their time in jail and try to pretend like everything's normal. Hmm. All of this happens until September 1919 when Victoria has Yosef. Presumably, her father was the child's father, but she claimed, and I think it was, they kind of tried to make it known that she had this brief relationship with a widowed neighbor. Okay. And this was her little side relationship, and everyone knew about it. Right. um, And knew that this was probably Andrea's, Andreas's baby. Okay. The product of incest. But the 1920s were pretty crazy for Germany after World War I, but Hinterkaifeck was kind of insulated. They were kind of financially stable with money from raising crops, cows, piglets, and chickens. I think people that were in larger farms in that area back then were were insulated. They had the opportunity to um, make their money in many ways that people that lived closer to the cities did not have back then. So they enjoyed a different sort of a lifestyle. Plus, you know, you've got got your food, you've got everything all concentrated yourself, so you don't have to buy it. And it probably wasn't, like, as decimated as the city city centers and everything like that. Exactly. And they have this sort of a frugal family thing going on, so they're all comfortable. Mm-hmm. Then in 1920, they hired a live-in maid. So if they're comfortable enough to hire a maid, yeah. then they're, they're, they're not doing bad. Yeah. Um, but she overheard lots of stuff about this creepy incest uh. kind of a situation between Andreas and his daughter. And they, she also heard that he was not letting her re- get remarried and Uh-oh. witnessed him locking his daughter in a closet when men came calling. Okay. Allegedly, she also walked in on a sexual encounter between Victoria and her father. After that, she quit. Oh, God. Okay. And so they were looking for someone else to replace her. About a year later, strange happenings began happening at Hinterkaifeck. So I think it's important to note for this story that a lot of this is sort of hearsay. Yeah. That it's based upon stories from people and not necessarily proven facts. Right. So I think you got to take some of this with a grain of salt. Although the incest portion, that was, I think that was a court. I mean, record. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so here are some of the strange things that started happening at Hinterkaifeck. House keys. A set of house keys disappeared. Mm-hmm. Okay. Newspapers from cities across Germany appeared. There was one in particular from Munich, and it was a mystery as to how it got there, because the postman was like, "Well, I don't have any idea," and. Basically, they don't. No one in the area subscribed to that newspaper, okay. so it was weird that it would suddenly show up at their house, uh-huh. and it wasn't delivered by the postman. They just found it randomly. Okay. Thursday, March thirtieth, a padlock on the engine room door was broken, and there was unfamiliar footstep tracking inside. Two sets from the fields to the home, but none away. Mm. So there's sets coming in and none leaving. Okay. All of these things were mentioned to the neighbors. And basically, they said that Andreas kind of brushed all that off as not very serious. He speculated that some strangers were possibly inside Hinterkaifeck, but at the same time, he said he was not afraid of them. 
He was like, I've got my gun. I can defend my family. I'm not going to worry about it. Like, these are just squatters, whatever. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like, he he didn't think that they necessarily wanted to do the family any harm. Yeah. And I think back then there were situations where, you know, people after recovering from a world Mm -hmm. war where people are very poor in some areas after Mm -hmm. it and some people did very bad and there's strangers, excuse me, there's soldiers that are coming home from war that may be disoriented. I think it wasn't necessarily unusual to find strangers coming Mm -hmm. to kind of sleep in the barn or, you know, beg for food or whatever out in some of these farmlands. I don't think it was super, super common, but I think it happened enough to where people weren't unnecessarily or weren't unduly alarmed yeah. when somebody did come by. Yeah. Right. I don't think it was as creepy now as like you're living on a farm out in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden some weirdo shows up at your door. You're going to be creeped out because you've seen too many horror movies. I'm but not I, living I don't in a think, farm in the middle of nowhere. I don't think people had that sort of an image of sure. strangers back then. They, I, I think that they, for the most part, didn't think a stranger wanted to do them harm. Sure. So later, Andreas notices a cow had gotten loose and Victoria convinces 44-year-old Maria Baumgartner to come act as a maid for the family. Okay. So Maria was really inverted, and she was a bit shy and slow-witted. Mm-hmm. They said slow-witted, but assuming that means she just wasn't as, she didn't have a super high IQ. Mm-hmm. She also had one leg that was shorter than the other, um, so maybe she had a little bit of kind of mental challenges, difficulties, maybe a birth defects mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So I think they convinced her, her family and the Grubers, that this was a good opportunity for her, and she can make some money. Oh, well, and, and she gets a place to live. And, yes, yeah. and the family doesn't care that she's kind of odd-looking. Yeah. They're like, you know, we just want a maid. And so it's kind of, I think, a compromise on both sides. Yeah. I think there's the, the rumors and speculation that there's weird stuff going on at the Gruber family farm. But, you know, this woman has to take what she can get because it's not like normal families are going to want to hire her, that kind of a situation yeah. where it was give and take on both sides. Gotcha. Because back then, I think appearance was very important to a yeah. lot of families, particularly when it came to maids or people that would be um, interfacing with the public on behalf of their household, mm-hmm. with you know dealing with merchants and people that were delivering food and supplies, and you wanted to have an attractive person mm-hmm. at the helm or whatever. Anyway... Um, that night, the family allegedly heard footsteps in the attic. Mm-hmm. Andreas took a lantern and searched the attic and only found a bunch of straw kind of s- strewn about. Like it was like a makeshift bed or something? Uh, no. Oh, Strew- not Just st- straw, like all over the place. Okay. Not necessarily s- concentrated in one area. Oh, okay. So he's like, eh, I didn't see anything. Maybe it's the wind, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Friday, March 31st, 1922, Celia falls asleep in class, and the teacher inquires why she's so sleepy. And she says the family had spent the night looking for Victoria, her mother, after she'd gotten into a particularly bad fight with her father, Andreas. Oh. Um, hmm. They eventually found her, um, and then they heard, like, the footsteps in the attic, and Andreas looked everywhere for the source of the attic noises but couldn't find anything on the property. Both Andreas and Victoria returned to the house, and the noises and possible intruders were kind of forgotten, but Victoria and Andreas both mentioned it to shopkeepers the next day while they were running errands. By 5 p.m., 3.31, Maria Baumgartner was arriving at the house to begin her new position, and she's greeted by Granny Cecilia and shown to the maid's room off the kitchen. Okay. It was that weekend that it was unusually quiet around Hinterkaifeck. 
so when yeah. everyone shows up and everything is door is all locked up and quiet yeah Tuesday, April 4th, a neighbor, the same one Victoria allegedly had the affair with, is one of the young men that comes to check the property. Oh, okay. Is also allegedly the father of Yosef. Right. And they're, they arrive at Hinterkaifeck, and they're afraid that Andreas has done something bad because he knows about Andreas's reputation. Uh -huh. There's some speculation that he had at one point sought Victoria's hand in marriage, but that Andreas had put a kibosh on that. Okay. And was really mean to him, I guess. But they got to the deserted farm around 5 p.m. that night, and they found everything locked and the animals secured. The engine room was unlocked, though, again. Mm -hmm. Presumably <clears throat> the same one with the broken lock. Evidently, there was a heavy beam blocking the entryway inside the main doors to the barn. Oh. The group eventually pushed it open by force and went into the barn with flashlights. Okay. They inspected the dark space and discovered a foot sticking out from a pile of hay. Uh. Yeah. So they pull it out, and they find that it's Andreas Gruber. He's dressed, but his face and head are bloody. It's clearly been kind of smashed in. Three more bodies were then discovered in a similar state with bad head wounds. All in the barn? Yes. Okay. So Cecilia, Victoria, and the, the granddaughter, Cecilia, number two. Okay. And Andreas were all found in this. So four bodies total in the, in the barn. Okay. Underneath hay. Underneath piles of hay. Uh -huh. With head injuries. In various states of dress and undress. Okay. The mother and grandmother were fully dressed, but the littlest victim was still in her nightgown. Okay. So Cecilia Jr. was still in her nightgown. Okay. A pickaxe was found against one wall, and the dog was tied up inside, despite report that it had been tied up outside by that earlier visitor, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. This was only a few hours before this. The dog was injured right above one of its eyes and appeared terrified. Aww. So they went into the kitchen from the stable side doors mm -hmm. because that door was unlocked on the inside of the barn. There they found young Yosef's carriage. The baby was inside with a crushed skull. Oh my God. And a shirt was covering the carriage. Evidently, there was a key in one of the doors, and the maid's room, they found Maria in there covered by a mattress and a duvet. She was also deceased with horrific head injuries. Jesus. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the men immediately notified police. Within the hour, a crowd swarmed, wanting to see the bodies. Mm -hmm. They flooded the crime scene. They fixed snacks. They trampled the crime mm -hmm. scene. So I think back then, and... and you know, you hear about this sort of an instance in earlier crimes that happened in the early 1900s where they just didn't have, you know, the foresight or the control, the crowd control mm -hmm. to pull people back and not let them go to the crime scene because they would interfere with the crime scene. Yeah. I just don't think it was thought of in the same way back then. That's the same so thing that happened at the Villisca Axe Murders yes. in Iowa. Same sort of a situation. Yeah. And the crime scene wasn't secured and people were just swarming because they, they like heard about it. They were like eating cake at that Yeah. 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 They were having snacks. Like yeah. there's a there's a gruesome, bloody murder just feet from where yeah. they're at, and they're eating a snack. It's just awful. Okay, so police then spent the day inspecting the crime scene. Fatal blows to the skull were determined to be the cause of death, but there was no blood except on the door leading from the stables. There was a little bit there. Okay. So you'd think that if they were killed on the spot, there'd be a lot of blood. Yes. But there wasn't. Okay. So that led them to believe that they'd been killed and then brought to the barn. Okay. Okay. The pickaxe was clean, the one that they found. Mm -hmm. 
um, leading away from the stables, and there was a few drops of blood on the handle. Okay. There was a little bit of blood in the house and hallways, but no footprints, and less blood than you would expect from six gruesome deaths. And had injuries produced a lot of blood. Exactly. Victoria's room had been tossed around with very, with various items kind of thrown around. Mm-hmm. Uh, there so was like somebody was looking for something? Yes, that's what it looked like. There was only one area that looked searched. Police searched the site, and they looked in the attic on top of the barn. Mm-hmm. There were hay and various impressions of bodies, as well as bacon rinds and someone's bathroom signs were also found. So someone had gone to the bathroom up there. They'd obviously eaten up in the attic, put little bundles of hay so they could relax and be yeah. comfortable, and had gone to the bathroom in one of the corners and whatnot. Okay. They also found loose tiles on the roof that had been messed with, presumably to look into the house from the roof. Oh, whoa. So... All the doors were locked from the inside, too, which was perplexing. Mm-hmm. How had the perpetrator escaped? Mm-hmm. Did he like, escape? Exactly. Police sent out sniffer dogs to the surrounding areas but didn't find anything. Rain had also melted snow and helped to remove traces of the offender. Mm. Presumably, there had been a stash of money somewhere on the property that could not be found, so they thought maybe robbery was a motive okay. for the massacre, but so many other valuable things have been left behind, so, like, here's another issue. Yeah. Like, why would they, if their robbery is the motive, then why would they leave jewelry, watches, coins, and other valuables right. behind? It was estimated that the murders happened between 8 and 11 p.m. on Friday, March 31st, 1922. Okay. It appeared the family members were killed one at a time, possibly lured to the barn one by one without mm-hmm. the others knowing. And I think that I'd read somewhere that they thought that the cow thing, because a few days earlier than this, it had been reported that Andreas discovered one of the cows loose mm-hmm. and wasn't sure how it had gotten loose, and so he went and got it back in the barn. They think that maybe something like that had oh, happened as well okay. in this instance, luring them all in there one by one. Uh-huh. Because... The guys that had come and searched the property moved the bodies. Mm-hmm. It was impossible to determine which order the family died in. Okay. Police thought it was Victoria and Cecilia first, and then Andreas, and then Celie, the littlest one. Okay. Then Maria, and then Yosef. The bread supply and a bunch of smoked meats were low or missing or gone. Reports of quiet livestock around that time also led authorities to believe that the killer stayed in the home after the massacre for some creepy reason, Mm. eating and feeding the animals. The investigation techniques were pretty primitive back then. Mm. There were no fingerprints. Fingerprinting was about 10 years old, but there were none taken during this investigation of the crime. Mm -hmm. And only about half a dozen photos were taken of the scene. Mm -hmm. Autopsies were done. On the premises, all six died from head injuries by a weapon with some sort of an axe kind of a function to it. Okay. The killer was thought to be left-handed since the wounds were all on the right side. Okay. And then 35-year-old Victoria had to have, seemed to have the worst of the injuries with nine wounds to her head and some signs of strangulation. And I think it's my understanding that when you have a crime like this and strangulation is involved, they often think that it's somebody that they know mm-hmm. or someone who's familiar or it's a sex-related crime. Right. But um, evidently the smallest victim here did not die instantly. There were some signs that it took her a few hours and she'd suffered greatly. Mm. I think I read somewhere as well that she tore out some of her hair 
from her I own think I've read that too. So forth, just awful. They said that her injuries were such that if she had received medical attention within a proper period of time, she would have survived. Oh, gosh. But I mean, I clearly somebody was not trying to let anyone survive. Right. Um, the heads were sent to the university for further exams while the bodies stayed at the burial. I just oh weird. Yeah, it's another kind of Brian Wells situation. Yeah, where they took the head off. Just awful. Police found handprints on a dusty beam in the barn. It looked like someone had gone above hidden and watched but there's no trace of the person ever found except for that one handprint whoa saturday april 8th 1922 the funerals took place thousands of mourners were present they were buried as a group in a mass grave and then a reward was issued for about a hundred thousand marks this was offered by the police for any information to the capture of the hinterkaifeck murder then it went to about two hundred thousand along with some posters Mm-hmm. advertising this fact which I don't know how many marks is equal to a dollar I can't imagine that it's more than 10 or 20,000 I don't know time. but I know that their economy collapsed after the war so maybe it was just not worth it wasn't yeah, very high I, I don't there know. wasn't very high value to the yeah. mark I, I can't imagine it but being also more than 20, 10 or 20,000 dollars in 1920 would be a lot of money yeah but the community was understandably shocked and fearful for their own safety. You have six people that are mass murdered yeah. in their home with no possible suspect, yeah. even on the radar, in any way, shape, or form. Like, you're going to be freaked out. Yeah. Warnings were given to the neighbors along with safety tips. They were like, you know, get a gun, stay together, mm-hmm. lock your doors, make sure they're locked, just be really careful. Two weeks prior to the murders, Victoria Gabriel Gruber had made a large, suspicious church donation with no reason behind it which was an interesting little tidbit that came out later. And strange things were seen. Figures with flashlights near the property and smoke coming from the chimneys on the Hinterkaifeck farm the day after the murders. But people, I think, just didn't go check it out because they didn't know anything was wrong. Sure. Although after the fact, they're like, hey, this is really weird. Yeah. And then there were Victoria's strangulation marks. This made the police speculate that there was a personal nature to the killings. Like maybe a scorned lover or someone that was getting some kind of revenge or payback Mm -hmm. from the knowledge that the family had kind of this incestuous little thing going on. And then afterwards, the ownership of Hinterkaifeck was hotly disputed and the courts had to get involved because I believe that there was some saying that because the youngest girl, Cecilia, was the last person alive that her father's family had stake in the farm had a claim to the farm oh okay okay versus the gruber family they were like the closest next of kin exactly okay versus the gruber family if one of the other gruber individuals had been the last to die which seems so macabre to me like really and how can you speculate when each one i mean you can guess but back then they weren't as precise in determining time of death and so forth so i don't know how you could possibly say that but February 1923, the property was destroyed. While doing so, the floorboards were lifted, revealing hay beneath and a little hiding place with a blood-stained axe and a small metal hoop also covered in blood. Um, They had seen this axe in there had belonged to Andreas because it matched the injuries as well to everyone in the crime scene. There was also a bloody penknife, which was also found by investigators and hypothesized to be used by the killer. 
They thought that he had perhaps returned, he or she, I guess it could uh -huh. be either, had returned later and hidden these things once the investigation had begun to wind down. So they don't think that, they think that they did a thorough search the first time around, oh, that these weren't wow. there, and that someone had returned later and put them in there. Oh, that's so creepy. There were no fingerprints um, on any of the items. So then they thought that some of, that the murders might be political and related to some underground associations which were popping up during that time. This was kind of, they were gearing up for the Nazi control. Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of underground political factions trying to take over control in that country and get them out of the state that they were in. But none of these things panned out. And they also considered Carl Gabriel, who was Victoria's husband mm -hmm. that had died in the war. They thought that perhaps he really hadn't died and they'd never found his body, so there was some speculation that maybe he came home and found out about the incest and wanted revenge and so forth. But I kind of find what that are the one odds. I find that one a little hard to believe. Yeah. That number one, that he didn't know about the incest to begin with. Like you married this woman, you had to have had some speculation or inkling that something bad was going on there, and you had to have heard rumors. Well, and there was a court record. Yeah, but um, but 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 but, but fellow soldiers said they'd seen him die and get buried. So yeah. like they kind of ruled that out. Rumors of murder for a financial gain were also considered and disproven or ruled out. A couple of local thieves were considered too, but the brothers had an alibi and were also ruled out. Other community members were considered and dismissed. The neighbor who found the bodies was one of these. He'd had a brief relationship with Victoria and was said to be the father of her youngest child. Mm -hmm. um, he'd also allegedly proposed to Victoria at one point making it clear, though, that Andreas would have to end his incestuous relationship with his daughter when the marriage took place. That or so seems he claims. like a reasonable request. Yeah, but Andreas kind of ended that, mm -hmm. and it was widely believed that the child was Andreas, it's not the neighbors. Right. But their neighbor had reported the incest after that, and Andreas was arrested for a second time. Oh. Related to this, you know, tattling. After Victoria offered to drop any claims for child support, he said she could use him as the father on the paperwork, and then oh, the wow. charges were eventually dropped. So there was kind of this exchange where she said, I'm not going to ask for any child support. You have to let me use your name as the father on the paperwork, and I'll let you off the hook if you right. say that this didn't happen. Yikes. So he did that. And everyone noticed how chill the neighbor was after discovering the bodies and disrupted the crime scene. So they were like, this is really suspicious. Number one, yeah. he's super chill when finding these bodies. And number yeah. two, he disrupted the hell out of that crime scene. Pulled the bodies out, let people tromp through, like just was really disruptive. Even though people were like, hey, you shouldn't touch this. He mm -hmm. was like moving bodies and whatnot. But what was the motive? Yeah. The neighbor even sued for defamation at one point and won one of the local papers for oh. having ru telling rumors about him. Okay. Um, nine years later in 1931, despite the case having fallen into kind of a cold case sort of a status, it was reopened and reinvestigated with different investigators. Ten years later, the lasting impact was still noted. Both the families of the Gabriels and the Grubers were investigated, but this didn't lead to anything either. The investigation was eventually forgotten after World War II started. Vital documents and victims and the victims' skulls were destroyed during Why? that time period. And they, so they just were like done. I mean, I guess I understand they had a lot going on in Germany, but like. But what? then after the war, though, interest in the case was revived. Yeah. 
because it's you know this is huger ma this huge major gruesome crime in a country where this sort of thing doesn't happen various theories were thrown about about previous suspects and everyone was reinvestigated in 1955 the case was closed officially but public interest never waned yeah by 1971 former suspects were pointed out but nothing ever came of it 1978 the first book was published on the case and became a great success by 1988 the first film adaptation came out a documentary at the time there's more of a media okay excuse me Many more media creations were also released and found success. The unsolved case was studied in detail decades later. In 2007, Bavarian police students investigated the case. They suspected the murder was personal but couldn't solve it ultimately. Mm -hmm. The case captured interest of true crime fans everywhere, mm -hmm. largely with the podcast genre, right? Yeah. In 2017, American crime writers also covered the case and connected it with the Vizalia Axe murders. So they were trying to make a case that these were the same person. Velisca? The Vel in any case, <laughs> they tried to connect it with the Velisca Axe murders. They said that a German-born farmhand was blamed and was the suspect for this crime, too. This remain, this To this day, this remains one of the most talked-about cases. There were 105 suspects in total. No one was ever charged. They now offered ghost tours on the empty property. The farm was mm -hmm. ultimately torn down in 1923, but a roadside memorial was created on the site, and the land is now solely used for farming. So, nice. so anyway, anything else you want to add before we wrap this episode up for the day? No, like it's, I mean, so like what's the prevailing theory? They think somebody was living in the house for like a period of time before and after the murders? Like living in like yeah, the Yeah, that they like scoped spaces? it out. And, like, watched the family and prepared to learn their habits and what they did and what time so they could best, mm -hmm. you know, kill these people. And then stayed in the house afterwards. So isn't Just, that, like, an argument for why it isn't the neighbor boy or neighbor man? Yes. Because how would he have done that right. if he's in his own place? Right. I don't think it was the neighbor. I think that the neighbor was just interested in it because, you know, this is his possi this is possibly his son. This is the woman that he loved at yeah. one point, obviously, because he wanted to marry her. So I don't think he did so you it. Think it was a I think just it was a random. I think it was a random stranger that came through and did it. In my personal opinion, um, I think that he was a, somebody that was smart yeah. and somebody that knew enough to watch the family. Like, just it's creepy. It that is he very watched creepy. But also, like the random hung out in their stranger attic. thing does kind of make the most sense because what's the motive? Yeah, just creepy mental yeah. illness. Hmm. Although I don't know. I mean, it just there's so many other weird things that go on that are going on in this. It reminds yeah. me of the case that I talked about. This is an episode that I did on my own while you were on break. Uh -huh. um, I think it was last Christmas. No, was it last? Maybe the Christmas two before. years before. I was still in San Diego. Yeah. yeah, but it was a family, and there was. They said that he killed his entire family and then went and killed himself in the forest. And he had an incestuous relationship, presumably. Oh, I remember that, that story. I do know that story. With the daughter. Yeah. And so the only one that survived was the son that happened yeah. to be in town. You know, and there were so many theories with that one, too. Like, did he really do it? Yeah. You know, was there, you know. So it kind of reminds me of that in a little way. It's just there's so many other extraneous things going on in this case that just make it such a coincidence that they would all get murdered. Right. right? Yeah. So it's just, it's very mysterious, and I don't think they'll ever solve it. It's no, just one of those it's, things that's it's, like, yeah, are they wait, ever going to really figure it out who Jack the Ripper is? Mm, doubtful. Yeah. So. they. I mean, anyway. they don't even have enough evidence. Like, 
It's not. It's not a case where they they save the evidence and hopes to find it. Like no, they destroy. They don't have the DNA. They don't yeah. have fingerprints. They don't even really have photographs. Yeah. And everything that was kept has pretty much been destroyed right. by this point by the war. Yeah. So it's just an interesting case that I've always it's been interested really interesting. in. Um, just because I like those old-timey vintage kind of cases, mm -hmm. too. Like, and imagining what the property looked like at the time and yeah. the people that were involved and how they reacted. I and, like cases like that because there's no plausible explanation. Yeah. Like, no answer it's makes sense. It's super creepy. It's absolutely yeah. creepy. So, and the fact that he, like, stayed there and was up yes. in the attic and fed the animals. That's and horrifying. And the bacon and then, yeah, that's mm -hmm. just creepy. Mm -hmm. And the fact that no one heard him up there like except the one time yeah like that in itself well and creepy. the newspaper like the whole thing is just so weird yeah totally yeah i like all the creepy little bizarre and fascinating details yeah. what hey in this case <laughs> yeah, you said the Shout thing. Out. <laughs> so yeah no i mean it's not funny i, I don't want to no, make it sound as though anything about this case is, funny, is funny but our podcast yeah but anyway um interesting case that probably will never get solved. No. So wow. if there isn't anything else, we should go ahead and wrap the episode up. Yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah. So I wanted to add this little part because, and then when we're adding this to the end of the podcast, because I remembered the story as I was about to hang up the phone with Darcy. So I had just finished preparing the Hinterkaifeck episode, which is the one that we just recorded. Uh -huh. And I put out my stuff and I had a glass of wine, was sitting watching TV, went to bed as normal that evening and woke up at around three o'clock in the morning hearing this loud sound. It was like, like somebody was running through the attic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm freaking out at that point because number one, I just got done doing the inner case yeah. and I knew it, I just, it sounded like it was in the attic. I'm and on the second floor. Like, it's not a rodent. It's not no, like these it's are, loud. These are like, Big it's loud okay. and I'm like please don't let it be the attic or the basement because there's no way in no hell way. I'm getting up to check it out at three o'clock in the morning you have to move so I sit there and I'm like okay I'm just gonna try to sleep through it I'm just gonna ignore it I'm gonna try to sleep through it but in the back of my brain I'm thinking number one I just yeah. just listened and and heard all about the Hinterkaifeck murders and number two I'm thinking everyone always asks me if my house is haunted and I always say no and now I'm like oh shit it's and real. Now it's actually haunted. Oh my God! It's real. It's actually. It's, yeah. it's it, folks. This is it. This is it. My yeah. house is haunted. This is not. We're a gonna deal. have to move. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I lay there until about five o'clock, and it's just too much. At that point, I'm like, I have to get up and look. So I go outside at five o'clock in the morning, oh in my, my slippers and pajamas, and look on the outside of the house because I'm like, okay, maybe it's the garbage fence came loose and it's hitting yeah. the side of the house. Maybe it's something that's like loose on the outside of the house. No. Nothing out of the ordinary. I go back in. I try to go back to bed, and I'm like, oh, please let this sound go away. And then by about 8 o'clock in the morning, it is super loud. It's like, bam! Jesus. And like so, somebody's and running. Just to be clear, your partner has not woken up. No. He's like asleep. through the whole thing. Dead okay. to the world. And I finally, at like 8 o'clock, I'm like, baby, did you, how do you not hear that? And he's yeah. like, what are you talking about? I said, listen. I'm like, it Did sounds like it someone's running through the attic. I yeah. swear to God. He's like, oh, I do kind of hear it. Uh, well, well, you go check it out. I'm good. Because <laughs> it didn't bother him. He's like, I don't care. So mm. I get my flashlight and I go up to the attic because I'm just, I'm positive by that point that it's coming from the attic. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, my heart is pounding yeah. because our attic, number one, is huge. It's like 3,000 square feet. So it's like a walk-in attic. It's not like a crawl space. Yeah. No, it's a full-on, you know, the yeah. ceiling is 
I don't know, seven or eight feet high. Yeah. And there's like all these little portions where there's like little hiding spots. And then we have a bunch of boxes up there and there's mm. rooms in the back and like all, it's just, it's a creepy it's plenty ass of hiding spaces, basically. Yeah, basically. So I walk up to the attic and I'm like, oh my God, please let this be close to the door because I cannot be walking around in this attic, like trying to figure out what stuff is. So I yeah. walk over and I look to the right and there's a window that has a vent on one side. So most of the windows in our house have a storm window on the outside and a regular window on the inside. Uh -huh. This one has a storm window and a vent. So there's not two windows. Okay. But there's a paint can that weighs probably 15, 20 pounds that we normally press up against the, because the latch to the window is broken. So the uh -huh. wind can blow it open at any point. And there were birds nests and all kinds of animals trying to create uh -huh. nests in that space. So we propped the window closed with a big, huge, heavy paint can. Mm -hmm. The paint can was about a foot and a half away from the window. What? And the window was swinging open and hitting the paint can and then hitting back against the frame and bouncing. Jesus. And that's what was making that freaking noise. Oh, my gosh. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, whew, number one, I'm relieved because I know there's not a ghost. It's just the window. Right. But then on this other hand, how the hell did that window press that big-ass heavy paint can when away? No way. <laughs> there's, no, what, there's no other explanation. Through for the it. vent. I could understand if the wind was direct into the window, but there's a vent. I don't know, man. How does that can get well, so far away? Well, would you away? rather think it's the wind, or would you rather go to bed thinking there's somebody in your attic mm -hmm. that you still haven't found? Well, there's a huge lock on the door on the outside <laughs> of the attic, so they can't get out of the attic unless, you know what I mean? Unless they yeah. crawl through one of the windows, or they crawl through the roof, but man, that scared the crap out of me. Yeah. And I was so relieved that it was the window because I honestly was like, it sounds like a child running through the attic. Oh my God, no. Mm -mm. I, don't f I don't fool with haunted children. Mm -mm. Or like somebody slamming a door and running. Mm -mm. Nope. And the guy that cleaned our chimneys. You know this stuff freaks me out. The guy that cleaned our chimneys told us stories about houses in the area where little kids were nope. haunting. Nope, nope, stop it, stop it. <laughs> and they would I'm run and play you. jokes and tricks. I'm going to hang up on you. <laughs> you know that stuff freaks me out. I can't do haunting. Yeah, so I can't do hauntings. That was... um. That was my little moment, my my little Hinterkaifeck attic mm -hmm. moment that I had mm -hmm. to share with the group. So you have to move. <laughs> well, we already are moving to Florida. But. So sorry, so sorry that your house is burning down tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. Anyway, so if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or you want to tell us how bad you think we are, no, don't tell don't. us that. Please don't tell us that. <laughs> Send us an email. We're at the BFD Podcast at gmail .com. We'll give you a shout out if you would like. Yeah. If you don't, if you want to stay private, you can do that too. We do occasionally get those. They don't want to be, you know, mentioned on the air, but they have something to talk about or something to mention. Um, if you have any, you know, helpful suggestions for us as well, like we're happy to kind of follow advice or suggestions for cases yeah. that you might want us to cover off on. That's okay too. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe is essential as well. It helps us pop in searches that people have for some of the topics that we cover off on in the show. And then we do also, lately, I've been doing a pretty <laughs> fantastic job of posting pictures. If I don't say it, I just patted myself on the yeah, back there. Yeah, um, you can check out our social media. What's that at, Doris? Yeah, we're on Instagram at the BFD Podcast. So like Sarah said, she's been up in her game with the pictures and the Instagram. Right. Um, all that stuff with the cases. So we'll post some pictures. There's some good, like, old-timey pictures of this farm, too. Yeah, I hope I can find some good ones yeah. on that. I wish I had a picture of, like, the bacon rinds. Ew, no. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, the scene where the hay was. The yeah, attic. that would be cool, but, yeah. Not Although it's probably black and white and it's oh probably yeah, hard to sure. see because they're really grainy mm -hmm. and whatnot. But anyway, 
Um, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and if you hear something in the attic, go check it out. Or just move. That's what I would do. Just leave <laughs> Until your house next and time. never come home. Right. <laughs> never, ever, ever come back. Anyway, um, bye. Bye, guys.